Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome back to the next episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. So happy to be here. So excited to have this conversation today. I am Melissa, your American hygienist. And my name's Tabitha. I'm a dental hygienist from Australia. So we are super psyched to talk with Jackie Big R today about her journey with uh, senior dental care and the all the amazing work she's doing with this patient population. So I'm very excited to introduce Jackie because she's one of my friends as well. So that makes me super excited. She's a dental hygienist and then became an OHT from Australia. Not only does she own this great business called Senior Dental Care, she also works in private practice as a clinical educator at university. She's been the chair of New South Wales for the Dental Hygiene Association for many years before moving on to the National CPD Chair. She's volunteered her whole career with um, organisations, with CPD and other events, and so she's been a huge member of the dental community here in Australia, and we're really excited to welcome her. Welcome, Jackie. Welcome. Thanks, Love guys. talking to rock star hygienists that do such amazing <laughs> stuff. It's so inspirational. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to be on. Great podcast, avid listener. <laughs> we love you. that too. Can we Absolutely. Um, just so the listeners can get to know you a little bit. First, when Jackie's graduating high school, what made her think about dental? Um, nothing when I was graduating high school, actually. Um, I got into hospitality for a while. I was kind of a bit of a lost soul um, for a year or two out of high school. But um, what sparked my dental interest was um, a, a local receptionist job um, close to my house uh, in a dental surgery. So that's where my journey began um, as a receptionist and admin duties. Um, and then from there, I was offered a, um, a dental assistant um, course um, that was paid for um, as an apprenticeship here in Australia. And yeah, um, kind of just went from there. I uh, wanted to get more in the surgery and do more in the surgery. So um, I applied for my dental hygiene course and then um, uh, went on to university and studied uh, the Bachelor of Oral Health. That's and amazing. Jackie went back as well to university again and did it. Was it a graduate diploma that you did afterwards? Is that what that's called uh, when you did your adult scope? Um, a, grad, a grad cert, so a graduate certificate of oral health science. Yeah, so I went back um, about three years ago now and did that. And in Australia, we um, get to extend our scope if we do that particular course or a CPD course um, of the like. And yeah, so I extended my scope about three years ago or four years ago. And um, yeah, now I can do a little bit of adult restorative, um, more thorough examinations and that kind of thing. That's really cool. I love that you guys have the option to do that in your country. We have something kind of similar with expanded functions or independent practice, but it's not available to 
every state within our country. It depends on your particular state's practice act and jurisdiction. So unfortunately, it's not available to everyone in the United States. But I love, I love, I think I'm moving to Australia, to be quite honest (laughs) with you, because the more, the more of Tabitha's friends I meet, like, I'm like, you guys have, you guys got it down over there. So I might be packing it in and flying over and making it a permanent residence. (laughs) Well, we're very living. (laughs) Yeah. We're lucky with national registration. When that came along, it made a big difference. And that's when we've really started to see changes when we when we got national registration, to be honest. That made a huge um, difference. And then, Jackie, tell everyone when we got independent practice and, when, and how that's made a change to your career. Um, well, to my career um, personally um, has just given me the... Um, the option to go out and practice um, kind of solo. Um, I'm really lucky to have lots of mentors and uh, professional relationships with um, dentists and other other kind of uh, OHTs and dental hygienists in the realm. So I don't really feel like I'm practicing solo. I'd always reach out if I need them. But um, yeah, when independent practice came along, it, it kind of just gave us just that, um, the opportunity to go out and, and be our uh, independent practitioners, which which is really good. Um, it's a big step uh, in dentistry. But, um, yeah, uh, I think, you know, everyone's scope is very different. Um, Melissa, like you were saying, um, in Australia, everyone has the opportunity to extend their scope. But when we graduate university, it really depends on where we finish university, what our scope actually is. So as a dental hygienist, we're not all allowed to do the same things. We actually uh, graduate with different qualifications or different scopes of practice. So, um, yes, we can extend our scope and um, and do different things, but every single individual probably has a different scope. <laughs> yeah, I like that, though. It gives you the freedom to be able to, you know, maybe just stay with another dentist practitioner or go with like the sky's the limit. So I love that the way you have you guys have it set up. We have a model to try to copy, which is great. <laughs> it might take two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. Maybe I'll be dead before we see it happen. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but I'm going to try. <laughs> and so, Jackie, can you tell us about the business you've set up? So um, senior dental care is um, the vast majority of senior dental care is a preventative dental uh, practice that goes and visits aged care facilities and individuals in their residence or in their home um, to provide regular dental maintenance, uh, professional oral care to those who can't really reach it um, or find it easy to reach. So most of that population is in aged care facilities, but actually since I've started and, and obviously through COVID, there are a lot of people still at home um, that can't get to the surgery as well. So I'm, you know, being welcomed in people's homes um, and providing dental care there as well. So, yeah, senior dental care is mainly just to access those um, who can't get to a dental surgery in the ageing population pretty much. I cannot wait to hear about, like, your setup and how you do this. That's I'm so excited to hear that piece. And I was very excited to have you along today because if you are someone that's listened to episodes before who's joining in today, Really, one of the big things that Melissa and I are huge advocates for is increased access to care. And it's really been a running theme through all of our um, episodes. And you fit so nicely into that because this is really such an essential surface 
for increasing that access. And we actually have some stats that we've had a look at um, leading up to this episode. And when we look at it, Australia, more than 1.2 million people um, received aged care services through 2017 to 2018, with most 77% receiving support in their home or other community-based settings. Putting this into context of Australians aged 65 and over in the period of 2017 to 2018, 7% access residential aged care, 22% access some of the support or care at home, and 71% lived at home without accessing government subsidised aged care services. Aged care isn't just facilities, I think is really important, like it's accessing so many things. And here in the U.S., according to the data from the National Center of Health Statistics, as as of 2016, in the U.S., there was an estimated 4,600 adult day service centers, 12,200 home health agencies, 4,300 hospices, 15,600 nursing homes, and 28 9,000 resident care communities. And by 2050, they're estimating that the uh, population of persons that are 85 and older is going to reach about 19 million. So that's that, you know, we're, we're living longer. So obviously this patient population, this patient base is going to continue to grow. And a conversation Tabitha and I have had many times in the past because our niche is dental implants is what do we do with our implant patient as they move through life? What happens when they're in a, um, a, a nursing home type facility, who's helping them take care of their oral health there. So it's it's definitely an issue that we need, dentistry as a whole needs to address better. So Jackie, again, hats off to you for what you've done for this patient population. I think it's amazing. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I must admit, um, going into these facilities and, and homes, um, I kind of knew that, you know, I mean, for Australia, um, uh, I know quite well, obviously not too much the states, but um, we have a hugely aging population, and you know, and and the graph is really um, heading north in terms of um, you know people getting older, they're living longer, um, we're just keeping them alive, and um, with that comes all all the things, and one of those things that we know lots about are their teeth and their implants and their pros work and the hundreds of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars that they've spent on their oral health and, and oral care throughout their whole lives. And, you know, then they get to these facilities and I feel like, you know, when um, we put mum and dad or whoever it might be, grandparents into a facility, they're really just transferring their responsibility of care for this person to the staff there. And the staff there are not very well educated into caring for these people um, in all the facets that they need care for. So, um, yeah, I am seeing a lot of people with dental implants and with crowns and bridges and um, implant uh, retained dentures and things like that that these staff don't even know that they've got. <laughs> like it's, it's you can't, I kind of was expecting it, like you read it and you know it, but it, it, seeing it is really, really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's really, that's heartbreaking. And it's, it's such a broken system too. I mean, like we talk so much about dentistry's broken systems, but in each area, like medicine and even outside in different fields, there's so many broken systems. And I feel like that's why people like us who speak out and want to help make change happen. It's, it's an important thing to do. So never underestimate the power of your voice and, and what you can do to make change. Oh, thank so, you. I feel like it's a small 
the small I'm only doing a small part, <laughs> but yeah. No, it's no, huge actually. It <laughs> is. And when you think then, about your impact on one person is to them, that's massive. And you're doing it to multiple people, but the impact is actually so huge to each patient that you're seeing. It, it's a big thing. And just leading by example, what you're doing and sharing today with us and our listeners, our disruptors, it's just so inspirational. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to not only be inspired to do this, but take the time and then share your story. So we've recently had an inquest in Australia into the aged care health system. Um, and we were, there's a five-star rating um, globally and you should be over a three, and they found that most of our aged care facilities were under three um, and were below standards, unfortunately. And oral health care has actually come up in this inquest, which is good, um, due to some really amazing people who have lobbied behind the scenes and really worked hard. Mark Wotherspoon, one of our previous guests, has been part of that, and amazing people like Margie Steffens and Janet Wallace, lots of people involved. How do you see the changes of this inquest helping aged care in Australia, Jackie? Oh, like I would love to um, to see it improve. I mean, I think um, in the Royal Commission uh, there is about 148 recommendations that were made that um, that you know we see need changing, and that's a lot. Like it's not a small job, and it doesn't. It's not cheap. You know, um, the recommendations stretch from you know, a resident feeling safe in their room to how clean it is, um, to then being able to access a dentist or a doctor. Like, it's a big scope um, to look into. So I don't think the changes um, are going to come quickly, um, unfortunately. But, yeah, there were a few that um, focused on oral health and, um, you know, uh, the quality standards and, you know, the practice that that's um, needed uh, in oral, in sorry, in aged care facilities to be improved. Um, one of the big ones was the Senior Dental Benefits Scheme. That would be a very good um, recommendation to be followed through if that was uh, granted, which wouldn't be cheap. But um, basically that's going to allow a certain amount of money for everybody over a certain age or that is um, in a facility to access uh, preventative dental care or dental care that they, they uh, require. So lots of the barriers um, are obviously access and uh, financial. But, yeah, I mean, if some of these recommendations were fulfilled, um, then I guess we'd see a big improvement. It's just um, the question of how we get there or how we do it. I don't know if this is a problem in America, Melissa, but definitely in Australia, um, aged care facilities have been privatised for most of them and they're money-making businesses. So there's definitely money there. There's people making lots of money. It just doesn't seem to be going back to the residences. And I could be wrong, but that's how I kind of perceive what's going on there. These are profit organisations and profit comes first and care seems to come second in a lot of the management, not in the people in the bottom, I think they're working really hard, but I think in the management, Ed, that's how it seems. And is that what you've kind of witnessed, Jackie? Like, Yeah, I mean, you know, I've kind of come up with all these little um, ideas of, you know, being able to either um, like build nursing homes or build the private, the patient themselves and kind of how do I get around this in, in a really financial, affordable way for these patients? Um, and it, it, it's really hard. Like the the facilities, like I said, 
when somebody puts their loved one into a facility, they're really just transferring all the care that that person needs to that that facility itself. And um, the facility just doesn't want to spend money um, on the care for that person. So, um, it's not only like a lack of education and all of that, you know, what we know. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's the money that they just do not want to part with. I haven't dug into doing some like deep research in this here for the states, but it sounds very similar to what you're describing. Like we we don't have um, very educated people that are providing the the bulk of the care for these patients. So it's you know there's people that come in and shifts and do certain things for them, but you know that those people that are there providing the most the bulk of the care are really not highly educated in medicine or dentistry. Yeah. So would you find, Jackie, what do you think is the level of the oral health, um, like, knowledge for the care workers? Really poor, unfortunately. I mean, even in, um, like, a Bachelor of Nursing, like, I don't know how much oral um, oral care education that you get in a bachelor degree here for nursing, let alone the RNs that are in these facilities looking after you know, people with complex medical histories, people with complex medical conditions, you know, they've got big fish to fry and like big things to worry about. Their, their responsibilities that the RN has on a, in any kind of shift in a facility is huge. Um, and I come in and, and stress oral health and, you know, like, why aren't you brushing these people's teeth? And they're like, sorry, I've, you know, got other things to do. And, you know, the other kind of carers and, uh, the lower level kind of staff members they just don't know um they just don't know or they just find that they they can't or the patient is non-compliant or they don't want it or it could be aggressive um I feel like and I don't want to um sound unkind but I kind of feel like they don't just don't want to you know it's just too hard um, they would make up an excuse just to be like, I tried, but it didn't happen today because of this, or I tried, but they didn't want me to, or I tried, but you know, there's just always something that, um, that gets in the way. And I kind of feel like, but I just did a full scale and clean and a polish and fluoride. And <laughs> like, you know, I, like I just can't get my head around how they tried to brush or to even swab. And they yeah. absolutely just couldn't do it. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's really sad. Um, I don't think there's enough effort in, um, into trying. <laughs> um, but also it's about the education behind it. I feel like the main thing is if these people actually understood the consequences of poor oral health and general health, poor oral health and quality of life, then maybe they'd try a bit more. <laughs> I mean, and even, you know, do we have the science yet? We know that there's that connection between poor oral health and dementia, but do we also know how much more it exaggerates it or or contributes to it once a patient has dementia? You know, so there's so many connections to this. I, I mean, periodontal disease, we know, doubles the risk for heart attack and stroke. So just by simply having better oral health and having these people just get in there and brush every day makes such a huge difference. And I wonder, could you, would you say that when you see these patients, like, could you take a guess how long it's been since anyone has helped them with their regular day-to-day maintenance? Yeah, I feel like um, it it would be hard to 
guess in terms of you know when they probably when they had their last toothbrush or or mouth swab um it just depends i guess on their diet and microbiome and all of that kind of stuff but um yeah i mean i i get called in when it's the worst of the worst i get called in when the staff is it's completely out of control and they don't know what to do anymore. I don't get called in because they're due for their six monthly checkup or because, you know, you know, they, um, their loved one just thought they might, you know, uh, Google a mobile dental clinic to see if they can come in and check a problem out. I get called in when the staff feel like it's out of their hands. Um, and so you arrive and you think, how could this have got so bad? And then I think, Every single resident in this facility needs dental care. Like, do, do you need me to see anybody else Why I'm here? Like, you know, why are you waiting until it gets this horrific um, that it's starting to affect their blood sugar levels and, you know, their diabetes is uncontrolled and, you know, just the links. Like, people don't really understand the links. So it's, it is really hard. But, yeah, I guess to answer your question, it's hard to gauge, but... Um, I would probably put it up to weeks or months in some cases. Yeah, that's so sad. And it's something so, that could be so easily done and prevented. And Jackie, have you had any of the facilities say to you, can you um, provide education for our facility? Has anyone asked you for that yet? No one has come to me and asked me um, for it, but I have supplied them with like um, – laminated forms with um, some, you know, easy kind of positions or some tips and tricks around oral health and products, um, product knowledge. Um, So there is some integration there with a little bit of education. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, what I set out to do with senior dental care and to provide access to patients and things like that, actually arriving into these facilities and seeing what I'm seeing I feel like there's um, a bigger gap to fill and it's, you know, climbing the ladder and getting to those people who make decisions <laughs> and trying to make them understand those links between poor oral health and general health and quality of life and, you know, um, diabetes and periodontal disease and oral cancer and the risks. Um, I feel like I need to tell them <laughs> because I feel like yeah. if people understand, then they would be yeah, accessing the care, like surely. <laughs> so like it sounds to me as though a hygienist could very well be on staff at one of these facilities and be quite busy every day. Yeah, um, there has been a um, quite a lot of research. I think there's been about 10 years worth of research into an Australia, a New South Wales program called Senior Smiles um, and a very well-known um a uh, university member uh, came up with that and, um, yeah, th- that's what they did. They got some funding from the government and they placed a dental hygienist in aged care facilities um, full-time on an hourly rate and they were just busy. They were busy all day, every day. <laughs> and it helped. So I know about that program and obviously it helped oral health, but did they do any research into um, – diet like you know glycemic indices indexes or cardiovascular um you know uh, 
events for those patients. Like it would be interesting if they were looking at, all right, were, were patients with diabetes, were they more controlled in the group that were having regular oral hygiene care? Did they see an improvement in reduced cardiac, you know, events or something like that? Because that would be really interesting to see if we saw that other side being improved, not just the oral health. Do you know if they looked at that at all? I'm unsure. Um, I'm unsure if they looked at that specifically, um, but I feel like there's pretty hard evidence to to kind of um, lean back on to to know that it would have helped. You know, um, yeah. we we know the links that um, that periodontal disease, uh, uncontrolled periodontal disease, can impact diabetes. So you know, with or without that hygienist there, I think it's pretty safe to say that it would have made a positive um, a positive or a benefit to that patient in terms of their general health and quality of life. I agree. I think it would have definitely. Yeah. One of the people here in the U.S. that has really pushed for education um, within dentistry of this patient population is Angie Stone. And um, she wrote a book called Dying from Dirty Teeth, which is an amazing resource. If, if um, you know, our listeners haven't read that yet, definitely check that out. And she was able to um, kind of work around our issue because we, again, because we don't have that ability or, or very limited amounts of hygienists in the country have the ability to be able to work independently. Um, she can't, unfortunately, when she established her business, do things the way you're able to do it, Jackie. But what she did was create a program, um, I believe it's called the High Life uh, Program, High Life Network, where she she created this network of hygienists who would go into these facilities and just brush the patient's teeth and, mm-hmm. and at least do that. And she had a way where she created this um, business model to, you know, I think she worked directly with the families of the patients, but she's, she's a brilliant brilliant hygienist, um, not only just in the way that she figured this out, but in her research and and the work she's done. So here in the US, um, Angie Stone is an excellent resource if you're interested in learning more about working with this patient population and, um, you know, even uh, getting in touch with her and seeing if you can join her network. Yeah, fabulous. Always looking for new things. I just wrote down the book's name. I'm going to buy it on Amazon. (laughs) I know. As we're talking, I'm like looking into my... um, my bookshelf right behind me. I was like, wait a second. I have that book. I yeah. have to share. Um, so what do you think's been the most challenging thing when you arrive at an aged care facility? Um, probably the, um, the staff. Um, yeah, kind of, I feel like when you, when you walk in, um, I'm, I'm obviously there to see a patient and to, you know, learn about this patient's medical history and to gain a bit more of educate, education around the patient. Um, for example, uh, like their diet and how they're eating and do they have um, trouble swallowing, um, you know, all of those kind of things that only really the care staff would know. I mean, their families may or may not know sometimes, but Often um, the care staff the care staff know if their diabetes is controlled. Sometimes their family doesn't. They're the kind of stuff I need to check, and and that does kind of change frequently. It's a fluid figure that you know can jump up and down, and and if it is, then it's more even more important for me to know. Um, but it's kind of um, trying to pin those people down and and ask the questions, um, or to find the right people to ask the questions to. But 
most of them are nice um, and, you know, they're, they're very willing to pass that information on, but they're just very limited in time. Um, and I guess for me, you know, um, being relatively new to this, I'm very cautious, very thorough and, you know, I, I want to get the whole picture. I want to be able to treat this patient holistically rather than just to brush, go in and brush their teeth and leave again. I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. So, um, you know, to help the, the family and the carers understand what's actually going on in the mouth and how we can improve it, I need to get a clear idea of what's happening before I walk in the door. What do you so think you diet's able- like? I'm sorry, Tabitha. <laughs> what do you think diet's been like? When you, when you well, I just heard you saying you're asking about diet. What do, what do you think the food's been like at the majority of the centres and what kind of things have they been getting fed? I'm quite interested to know. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they, they're usually quite balanced. There's obviously lots of soft um, soft foods, um, but it's it's more so I've found what's in the bedside table or what's in the cupboard or what does, you know, their son or daughter or grandchildren bring in for them. Um, the bickies with the tea, cups of tea and, you know, how many um, coffees or tea will they have a day with sugar and that kind of thing. It's, um, it's not necessarily the meals that they are given from from the facilities, um, but it's the it's all the in between things. It's the you know high sugar, high frequency, bad stuff. <laughs> Are they still doing a lot of cordial, or they've stopped it? No, they're um, definitely doing quite a bit of cordial. Um, yeah. So I found some some facilities have policies around it. Some facilities. Um, don't but yeah I'm finding that um, uh, each facility is very quite different in in terms of you know what they're allowed what is Listen that to what cordial is yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like- is concentrated sugar with artificial flavorings that, that they mix with water and when Jackie and I were kids cordial was the rage like when you went to someone's house they always had cordial made up with and you'd have it with ice and you'd drink it but I haven't had cordial since a kid and people don't use it as much. But it's a huge problem in aged care facilities where they just give them this sugar in water. Oh, my gosh. So Feed the bacteria about, in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, when you think about dry mouth, soft food, and then some sugar to rinse it down. <laughs> oh, good gosh, the recipe for disaster. <laughs> it, it must be a strange thing, cordial, Jackie. Because, yeah, a, hey? an American, I think cordial must be a, a, a strange thing. Just we yeah. put sugar in water. <laughs> I mean, well, we drink soda and um, what about like Kool Aid? Cool, yeah, Kool Aid. I mean, I feel like there's just a lot more awareness. But I mean, people walk around with Gatorades, which are filled with sugar. So, like, and and we're we're always running on Dunkin', and that's <laughs> coffee, light and sweet. That's sugar all day long, and our mm-hmm. Starbucks drinks and all of the ridiculous things that we consume. So yeah, we're we're we just have different versions of cordial. <laughs> yeah. Same outcome. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm quite interested to know, Jackie, um, how's the hygiene of their actual hygiene products? Are they kept in places that are quite clean and not touching other people's and, and, and are going to dry out and not be left perpetually wet? And, you know, like, is that there? Like, is that known on how to care for their actual care products as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's, it's something that I didn't really think think about um before I went to these aged care facilities and um I'm quite lucky that I get a, 
a broad range of um, of facilities that I visit that, you know, some are very um, kind of um, well-off and high-class and like almost like hotels and some, you know, they have four or five residents sharing a bathroom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in some facilities, uh, the cleanliness of their oral health products completely fine um you know the the brushes are away from the toilet they've got caps on them sometimes um they're clean they're dry the toothpaste is is good sometimes I wonder have they been used or or are they just really clean um (laughs) but you know then there's the other ones that um if there's four or five people sharing a bathroom then yeah I, I haven't particularly seen where they're um you know, their self-care uh, cupboard is. Um, so, yeah, probably not so well in those kind of facilities. But um, you're right, I didn't think about that when I walked in and it's definitely something that I need to pass on that education for. And usually too, I mean, at least the facilities here in the US, like even in the bathrooms and in, in, in aged care facilities, there's no, generally no toilet seat cover. So each time they flush, that's all being pushed into the room air and then if their dental products are just sitting on the counter or in a cup on the counter like uh and then if they're sharing a room i'm sorry i took a screenshot of us while you were saying that my face was just like because <laughs> 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 i was like when tabitha asked that question I'm like that's an awesome question that my brain just kept on going with it and i was like oh no <laughs> um yeah well sorry one of the challenges I was thinking would be quite difficult, um, obviously, as you get into aged care facilities and patients as they're ageing, is cognitive health and Alzheimer's and dementia. And what difficulties has that brought to um, treating those patients? Yeah, I mean, in Australia, it's it's very common to, you know, um, to end up in an aged care facility if you have dementia. I think the vast population of people who are in aged care facilities have dementia. Um, And, you know, progressively, um, if that does get worse, then it progressively gets harder to treat that individual. And, you know, um, I have seen some cases that have been very difficult to treat. Um, You know, uh, I remember going to a facility um, and I didn't know what I was in for. It was just, you know, I got a call from the daughter and mum has really sore gums and, you know, they're bleeding and they're really red when I look inside her mouth. Okay, sure, I'll come along. And came along and then three RNs came in the room, five carers, and they wanted to film me trying to brush her teeth because they just had no idea. And sometimes it is just really difficult to, to get into the mouth of a patient who has dementia that doesn't want you there. Um, so, you know, when, when care staff say they try and they can't, then, you know, I mean, in some cases it, it is very difficult, but, um, I would say the majority of patients that I've seen with dementia, I've been able to treat. It's, it's, a it's kind of very touch and go, um, and how they're feeling on the day. Um, but there are a couple of, you know, things that you can do, um, that, you know, keep them, um, keep them interested and keep them happy and calm while you're while you're treating them um so yeah I mean every patient is very different uh the level and type of dementia that they have and obviously the day and the time that you go visit them as well so 
yeah, their cognitive ability as well as as well as their physical ability, um, you know, continuously declines, which is really sad to see. Yeah, I could like as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about how I could take an airflow into any of these kind of facilities and just if I just did that every day to a patient, which is so non-invasive, just think of, and that's so much better than brushing. Like if we replaced brushing with just air flowing these patients once a day, I think that would make such a tremendous impact on their overall health. It would be amazing. I mean, I feel um, with my portable um, dental unit, um, the suction isn't too good on them. So I I don't think I'd be able to get in there with an airflow, but um, yeah. I mean, even it just even if I even if I can get in there with a toothbrush or the Oral B test drive, um, yeah. I mean, anything is better than nothing for some for some people. So that brings up a good point because I'm super interested in like how you bring your equipment into the facility, how you set things up, and and how you're able to work with your equipment while with the patient. Yeah. Well, um, when I first started. Um, I would set up in a room and usually the doctor's room um, and, you know, I'd almost just have my little mini surgery around me and I'd have my um, disposables and all my things and I was just, you know, beautifully set up and I'd see four or five or I think even up to eight patients in a day and I was just like, this is how my business is going to run. It was just great. And then COVID hit um, and, you know, we weren't able to, um, go in and see more than one or two patients a day and um, I would have to go into their room so I'd have to set up and pack up and set up and pack up <laughs> so um, I became quite good at um, you know packing individuals kind of care in in a bag and and have each one set out and ready to go because I would have to pack up and set up um, after each uh, patient so um yeah, I guess uh, before I go into the facility, I just ask the patient to be sitting in a chair, a recliner chair, um, or their bed if they if they can't be sitting in a chair. Um, I ask for a PowerPoint to be close by um, for my unit, and um, and yeah, just their bedside table or a table that I can wipe down clean, um, and then I just go in and 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 set up. That's awesome. So yeah. do, do you have um, the ability to see people like do you have some some people here in the US have like a van set up and they treat patients in a van and bring the van to a facility? Do you also have that? No, I don't have a van. Um, I have a little um, trolley that comes with me everywhere I go. Um, and I have a portable dental unit. Um, so I have access to um, water and a triplex, uh, slow speed and high speed and um, uh, ultrasonics and a suction. But it's all in this one compact uh, kind of unit. So mm-hmm. it is very, very handy. Um and uh, and light and I can yeah just put it over my shoulder and take it take it everywhere I go oh my gosh can can you send us a picture of that I would love to see that yeah we can even add that in the show notes too so people can see because I I've seen the portable units that um you know when we do ICP over Maryland Siobhan's setup was she had one of those like standalone units um but it was like 
it was like the size of uh, like a file cabinet, like a two drawer yeah. file cabinet. It's a large unit. So like when you were saying mm. that with the suction, that's what I had in mind. But now it makes sense with what you're describing. So I now it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's no bigger than um, like a duffel bag or, or an um, onboard luggage piece. Yeah. Wow. I would love to see that technology. That is really cool. It is really cool. And when disposables, Jackie, so you've used disposable instruments like uh, tweezers, mirror, probe in like a pack that you can just dispose of. How do you dispose of that? That's always wanted to know because I saw them at a trade show and they weren't plastic. They were like metal. And then I was like, well, how do you dispose of them? <laughs> yeah. So um, often um, my packs – um, all the sharp things uh, go into a sharps container. Um, so my probes, uh, my sickle scalers, any sort of gracies or instruments that I use that are sharp go into my uh, sharps container. But often um, I'll leave the dental mirror with the patient or the carers and they will label it and I um, kind of show them how the, that it can be beneficial or helpful to retract the cheek, to have a look, to help with brushing that kind of thing. So I often donate the mirror to them and, um, and yeah, put the sharp instruments into a sharps container that get recycled. And then do you take that, how do you get that sharps container picked up as a mobile person? Um, I just call the company that, um, that issues it and yeah, I give it to them and they just give, give me a new one. So they come to your house and pick up your sharps and, <laughs> and go. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm lucky. I, I, yeah, I'm lucky I've I've got um uh, the lady lives close to my private practice so yeah she comes and visits oh. me there. Oh, it's very much like a sharps container in the surgery, but with a lid. So yeah, yeah. it's always clean on the outside and it's always closed. <laughs> so funny! Could you imagine? Like you left it on yeah. your porch. Oh yeah, she's coming to pick up my sharps today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> biohazard um, yeah right I have a question are you able because there's been this this surge of these handheld radiograph devices where you're able to expose radiation with this handheld device are you do you have something like that are you able to take radiographs I don't have something like that but it's definitely a dream of mine to get one soon um there are so many cases that I would like to take um to take x-rays and and radiographs um you know, with um, uh, with caries that I see, and um, I, I can obviously treat some caries that I see with my adult scope. Um, but often it's um, you know they're very deep, or they're root caries, or they're undercrowns, or under restorations. And I kind of say I can refer you on, but I don't really know what kind of treatment this tooth needs because I'm unsure about what's happening underneath. Um, so. Yeah, I, I would love to take X-rays and and radiographs so I can give the, the the patient you know a definitive diagnosis and possible treatment plan. Whether I can carry that treatment plan out myself or whether I refer, um, it's just more of a holistic kind of comprehensive exam. Um, so yeah, I would love a handheld radiograph um, or X-ray machine. Maybe we can lobby for you and some of these companies, or, or like if we know somebody listening, please reach out to Jackie and, and give a girl a, some a handheld device yeah. to help. Um, yeah. So that made me think too, as you were speaking about the different types of caries and situations that you see with patients. Are you have you worked with SDF at all? 
uh, silver diamine fluoride. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, I've just recently um, started working with it. Um, the amazing Kathy Boyce, who um, you guys have had a, a podcast with previously, um, she introduced me to it and I didn't really know much about it. I, I didn't learn a single thing about it at university um, and nor in any kind of CPD I've ever done. Um, but yeah, just uh, in the last kind of 12 months, I've, I've been very, very interested in it. Um, it has plays a huge part in my um, preventative services now and I just love it. That's amazing. I, I, I'm all for these minimal, minimally invasive interventions. And she is, Kathy is absolutely brilliant. I so enjoyed that episode. And um, I can't yeah, wait I, to be able to do more with that myself. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I took away from that episode with Kathy was when she was saying, um, I think, Melissa, you asked her, why, why aren't we getting taught this in the university if it's just so great? And her reply was something like, because then the students wouldn't know how to do restorations <laughs> and then the students wouldn't learn how to do root canals because they'd just never get to that stage of care. And I kind of thought, wow, that's so true. Like the, the product, I mean, I think for me and um, in my practice um, has just come to light through COVID, I guess, in timing, but um, it has been good timing because it, it's a product that doesn't produce aerosols that freezes caries in its tracks and reduces all kind of financial burden on, you know, these large restorations. It's just, um, it's just great. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. What do you think was the scariest thing about setting up the mobile practice? Scariest was um, just the business side of things. I really don't know things about business. I like being on the tools. I see myself as a tradie. Like <laughs> I like being in people's mouths and doing what I do best. Um, I don't like the ATO, which is the Australian Tax Office and Australian Business Registration and, and numbers and, oh, it's just so not me. So that was the scariest leap for me. Um, I, I was thinking about seeing dental care for you know, five or six years before I even thought about um, taking the leap. And it was all of that that kept me away from, um, from you know, stepping into business. I just didn't really know much about what I needed to do, my insurances, you know, what I needed, how much money, how do I market. Um, yeah. But all of those things have kind of um, – kind of come naturally and I was kind of lucky in COVID I had a lot more time to kind of learn about those things that made them a whole lot less scary so um yeah that was definitely the scariest thing but I'm glad I've done it and I've learned a lot and yeah it's awesome it is it is I feel you girl <laughs> you're talking about all those things and I was like oh yes I'd rather just go do the work and not have to do the back-end business things those are just yucky but you're right with anything when you dig in and you just kind of figure it out it, it becomes tolerable I wouldn't yeah. be so easy but it becomes tolerable and you figure it out yeah um what advice would you give to listeners who are thinking about setting up a clinic like yours um I would say if, if that's what you want to do, then absolutely just do it. Um, 
you know, I, like I said, I thought about my business for five or six years before even doing it, you know, all these little ideas halfway through the night or when I was out at lunch, small little advances that just went nowhere. And, you know, uh, by the end of it, I wasn't even writing them down or I wasn't, you know, I wasn't taking them seriously. But, you know, um, if that's what you want to do um, and you can dedicate your, yourself and your time to it, then it is so worth it, um, you know. It's a wonderful achievement. It's a great platform to be who you want to be. Um, you know, it's your baby. Um, you don't need to conform to, you know, established surgeries, practice policies and the way they do things. You can kind of just um, figure that out for yourself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was difficult and I needed to call on all the mentors that I have <laughs> to help me through it. But, um, yeah, I think absolutely do it. I mean, if you can help, like Tabitha said, one person, it makes a huge difference to their lives and, and it just you take away a little bit more self-satisfaction um, coming home from a day of senior dental care patients than I do from private practice. So um, we in Australia, for listeners outside of Australia, it's compulsory for any dental clinician, no matter what your role is, if you're registered to have um, personal indemnity insurance. Did you have to get extra insurances outside of that now that you're kind of operating a mobile practice? Yeah, the other, the only other insurance I needed was public liability, um, which I found was surprisingly quite cheap. Um, but yeah, that's the only other insurance that I that I have for my business, um, and um, I have that through my professional medical indemnity. So. And then you're obviously going to lots of different locations. So this is bringing you not just, you're not just going to one office every day, you're going to several locations I'm imagining and maybe even more than one location in a day. How do you factor that into the finances of the business? Because if you've got to get to a practice that's like an hour and a half, two hours from where you're living, um, you know, that's taking a large chunk of your day. Um, how do you make sure that you're still running profitably when you have to actually spread yourself out over so many locations? Yeah, that's um, that's really difficult. Um, I I listened to a CPD webinar um, from Mark Wallace, Doctor Mark Wallace, and um, and he kind of had this really clear cut table on how to manage exactly that. And I was like, wow, this guy has really figured it out. Um, but for me, when I was going to facilities, I really thought that I'm just going to go to this facility and treat, you know, seven or eight patients and then just go to a different facility each day and, and do that. Um, but it's not, it hasn't kind of panned out like that. Um, I am going to multiple, um, facilities or, or houses in a day. And, um, so I have had to add a travel fee to my regular, um, like check up and clean type of fee. Um, which I originally didn't want to do. I wanted to make my care affordable. Um, and if I could see multiple patients in a day, then my fees could be considerably lower than than um, what they would be if I was seeing one or two in one facility. So, um, yeah, I have added a travel fee to my um, uh, on top of my account. But honestly, like the people that I see in their homes are just so happy that they could get someone there. Like I'm just so surprised on how thankful and appreciative these people are that you came to them and you're helping them in their own home. Like I'm like, um, don't worry about it. Like <laughs> thanks for calling. Like I'm a new business, you know, this is great and, you know, I'd do anything to come and help you. But, yeah, they just they, 
I mean, money is just was the biggest thing I didn't want them to worry about. And mm-hmm. for them, I really just don't think it is. Like they're just so grateful. Going back to how you sometimes go to people's houses, that's an interesting thing because how do you guarantee the safety of you entering? So when you're going into a facility, you know, there's lots of people there, it's it's organised, it's structured, but there has to be some kind of risk involved now that you, you, you're walking into someone's house. So um, what are some of the safety measures or some of the things you've thought about this? Because that's something that makes me a little bit worried, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely something that I have thought about. Um, you know, um, I always kind of make sure that whoever I'm dealing with on the phone um, is um, hopefully there at the appointment. So I can kind of gauge, you know, who they are, how they how they um, are over the phone. Um, and then we email and I get a kind of medical history and um uh, and consent um, through my online platform. So there's some more communication there. Um, and I just kind of gauge and put the pieces of the puzzle together to feel like it's going to be okay. If not, um, I would probably just get somebody to come with me. But um, most of the time I am by myself. So, yes, there's always that risk, but I have never come into a dangerous encounter yet. So, And do you, if you're going to a household as part of that screening process, are you screening everyone with like a COVID questionnaire that lives in the household as well? Because that's another new problem now, COVID going into houses and multiple people and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, um, I always make sure that you know we're physically distanced. I, I don't, I don't want to um, step on anybody's toes when I'm kind of entering their territory. Um, you yeah. know, they're not coming to my practice where I can manage, you know, where people can stand and how many people are in a room and that kind of thing. But yeah, I've never had a problem of um, too many people, you know, being too close or or anything like that. But I do ask that if anybody has symptoms that is living in the house uh, to let me know and um, and I would always ask that at the front door as well before I come in. Just a new level of layers of difficulty in the in the present world. Of all, I'm just thinking now like all these things you have to think of, like it's actually quite complex. Like. Yeah, there's a lot and there's a lot of um, administration afterwards as well that I didn't really think about um, in terms of all of that, you know, you're adding all those kind of things into your notes and um, and even your uh, like appointment notes, um, not, not so much clinical notes but little cues and reminders and things like that um, because everybody is just so different. So did you buy dental software as well? Like I you- was just thinking that our brains are so connected. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, how um, do you know all this? <laughs> um, so I don't have uh, dental software at the moment, but I am using an online platform that um, collects um, medical data and clinical notes and makes appointments for me and things like that. Um, the platform is called Halixy. Um, it's not... Um, dedicated to dental but um you can add there is a dental kind of um mini platform in there i guess uh you can add your your charts and things like that to to it um but it's more aimed for just general medical you know physios chiros it's just like an online um cloud software that i can access anywhere so it is very beneficial for me um but i am definitely looking to get some proper dental software um that i can you know have everything in in one place and um have a little bit more uh control over over how it runs 
Do you do much oh, photography? No, I don't. Um, not at this stage. Um, I am looking into intraoral cameras. Um, I'm. I don't want to take photos on on my phone um, unless it's a, like pathology or something I'm really unsure of. Um, obviously, get consent and then you know um, uh, have it all privatized on the on the platform. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't taken that much photography yet, but I I plan to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all these things to um, think about. It's a lot more to lug around each time you pick something up as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, thinking, oh. like it's. Yeah, it's it's definitely not as um as streamlined and sim- simplistic as it is in the surgery when everything's interconnected and you know you can just kind of leave and turn the alarm on and everything's safe. Um, yeah, you kind of need to protect records and um, make sure that you know nothing is on your phone and and that kind of thing um, to uh, breach any confidentiality. So, do you voice record things when you're there? Like, how do you? take the chart when you're there by yourself and and record it also like how do you make that all work without an assistant sometimes i voice record um uh if if it, if it, things are getting complex or if they've got like a full dentition and i'm not going to remember um but other way other times i just have a um a laminated sheet that i can mark and i just wipe clean yeah and another question. <laughs> Look at it. I've got. I've, I'm always with questions. If you if you're in my workplace, they'd be like, "Oh, it's Tabitha with a question." Um, did you have to take out extra insurances for driving your equipment around in the car and keeping your equipment at home? Like, is that can that be covered under your normal car and home insurance, or do you need to change that and take out extra policies and stuff like that? So just the just the um, the equipment itself is. Um, is insured it's kind of like um another car insurance (laughs) um it's yeah it wasn't that cheap to insure but um it yeah uh my general car insurance or home and contents doesn't cover it unfortunately so i needed to insure the um the piece itself which was fine i mean um yeah if you invest in something then um i'm happy to happy to insure it um but yeah it must be kept in the property um i don't leave it in my car or anything overnight i don't even leave it in my car if i'm you know at home for half an hour <laughs> take it with yeah. me wherever i go <laughs> <laughs> i can't blame you girl yeah, yeah. You no know, i'm just trying to think of things that listeners are probably thinking you know they're at home they might be thinking of setting up one like all these little things that you might not think about straight away but then have to to add on yeah yeah. We've got a um like a mobile dental providers Facebook group, um, which lots of questions like that get asked. Um, and people have contacted me on Facebook and Instagram and things like that, and just asked all these little kind of you know quote unquote silly questions that aren't silly at all. Um, they're questions that I spent lots of time researching and and getting to know the answer for. So, um, and I'm more than happy to pass on any information anyone would want to know about setting up a business. Like I'm such an advocate for other people to get around it and to do it. It's just, um, it's really satisfying and I would really highly recommend it to anyone who would be interested. That's amazing, Jackie. I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing and your, you know, just even that offer to other people to help streamline 
what you've already, you know, all your trials and tribulations. Here's what my struggles just skip right over. And here you go. I, I love that too. It's something that's near and dear to my heart with dentistry because I feel like dental hygiene, we, the sky's the limit for us. And, and you're proving that with what you're doing. And I want to just help so many hygienists who might feel like they're stuck in this little box right now, or like, you know, they can't do more than just scrape teeth and polish teeth. Like there's so much more to what we're doing. So I, I just think it's so amazing when we have the opportunity to share with other awesome dental professionals who not only are killing it with what they're doing, but just so open to share and mentor. And, and that's, that's where like, I just love that because that's where my heart is. And I love connecting with other people whose heart is in the same place. So Bravo to you. <laughs> yeah. I... Go, Jackie. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you go. I, say, I, um, I uh, was listening to the podcast you guys did with Mel Hayes, and um, and she was talking about exactly that, just, you know, lifting people up around you, and it just makes, you know, everything such a better place. It's just so empowering, um, you know, working with people that uh, do the same job as you, but can you know be very um inspiring and um yeah lifting people up around you is really important so happy to do so <laughs> yeah well thank you no. thank you very much i wish we had another thousand of you jackie in around healthcare facilities <laughs> everywhere it would uh it would change the world i think so it really would multiply you that would be fantastic um clone you yeah i think this episode, I hope if you're thinking about setting up a mobile dental clinic, it's helped you with some questions and helps you think about different ways of doing it. I think we all need to work together on aged care, whether you're going to go work in a facility or not, be someone that writes a letter or talks about it with people or starts the conversation because even if you're not someone that wants to maybe go do mobile dentistry or do things like that, even the conversations that you have about improving aged care and talking about it makes a difference because it's a conversation if we're all talking about it, we might get some change and just advocating within your associations or to your local council or even popping into your local aged care facility and just saying, I can do a talk for the, the workers here about denture care or this or that like uh, tiny things like that actually can make a huge difference and have a massive butterfly effect so I think don't underestimate the small thing that you might be able to do you might be might not be able to do something as massive as Jackie is doing but there's still something that you can do so we thank you so much Jackie for not only your time tonight but for everything that you're giving to the community um she is a massive giver Jackie she gives and gives and gives and gives so we're very lucky to have people like her and um, she inspires me regularly, and we're just really, really thankful. Thank you so much, Jackie. Oh, thanks, guys, for having me on. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. It's um, it's good to chat about my journey and to hear all the other people that you interview um, and their journeys too. It's really inspiring. So you guys are also doing some inspiring and um, and also very empowering. So thank you to you guys. Oh, thanks, Jackie. So um, can you just let our listeners know how they could get in touch with you and we can put some more information in the show notes too? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, my business is called Senior Dental Care and my website is seniordentalcare.com.au. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Senior Dental Care and I also have a Facebook page. Um, so yeah, I mean, please feel free to contact me. My phone number is on all of those, um, platforms and you're more than welcome to email me. My email address is also on those platforms as well. So if anybody has any questions, then I would be absolutely more than happy to have a chat. 
I'm also going to ADX next weekend, so I'll be there too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time and everything that you do. It is very inspiring and definitely, definitely this patient population needs you. So thank you so much for all of the hard work that you're doing. Pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.